And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 16 of The Roundtable. I'm Grant Brisby. I'm here with Mark Craig and Andy McCullough. And let's just jump right into it. Guys, your draft grades. Mark, what grades are you giving all 30 teams in the MLB draft? Well, they all took players, so it's an A-plus for me. <laughs> Nobody missed the clock, so no one forgot. Like, yeah, man, they spelled all the names right, it looks like. So that was A-plus. Andy, you got some grades? We liked our draft. Anytime you're making a draft, you know, slot considerations have to be part of it. And so, you know, did we select our top pick because we knew he would agree to something underneath the slot? I don't know. I don't even know who his advisor is. <laughs> uh, we liked him as a player, and we're not going to apologize for the size of our market. All right. That, that's, uh, that is A-plus stuff. I was just thinking before we got on, it's like I was going through the rundown what we're going to do. And I was just imagining another sport coming on a couple days after the draft and just not talking about it at all. Like the NFL comes on, it's like, all right, NFL, let's talk about Jaguars head coaching stuff. People are going, no, talk about Trevor Lawrence or something. Isn't that a good thing for the oh, health yeah. of baseball that we don't have to pretend to care about the draft? And not to not, like, look. The Athletic, of all places, right, we're covering the hell out of the draft because readers are interested in it, right? And, like, that's fine. Uh, but, like, candidly, I'm not. Uh, and so, like, I think it's weird that, like, I turn on the television and on ESPN they're talking about NBA Summer League, you know? Like, I see, like, a Chiron that's like, what did Paolo Bonchero prove at Summer League? And I'm like, did he tear his ACL? Then he's fine. Like, as long as, like, is he still upright? Like, who cares? It's Summer League. This is fake. What? <laughs> What the hell? What are you guys talking about? Mark, how, how closely have you been following Summer League? James Wiseman, baby. No, I mean, I'm glad that he's healthy. That's wonderful. Like, I'd love to see him get back. But, you know, like to, to echo Andy's point, I, I just, you know, we, 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 love, we love the kids we got. We can't wait for our development guys to get their hands on him. You know, like it's, it, it really is. Like, you, you got to trust your scouts. I think that's the most important thing. We've got a process in place. He is a natural feel for a changeup. And we feel like the breaking ball will come. Once he gets that third pitch, I think the upside, yes. the pitch ability is going to show. Uh, you know, great family. Great. He gets it. Kid gets it. Going to look great in our uniform. We actually watched him play basketball more than baseball. <laughs> He's an athlete. Three sports and an honor student. 
Honor student, yeah. Rakes the infield. Rakes the infield before BP. You know, I, I talked to, I asked the, the Giants director of scouting a question, and the response I got said that he throws, he can soften the baseball. Oh, baby. And I nodded. <laughs> That's I'm not. That's a good one. I have no idea what that means. Can you, either one of you, just fill me in? What does soften the baseball mean? Can we? Is guess? he a pitcher? Yeah, a pitcher. <laughs> oh, okay. Then, oh, then well. that's that's he's, he changes speeds, baby. That's what this is. Touch and feel. That's what we. That's what I got. Uh, Touch and feel. Okay. Like uh, no snark. I'm sure it's a, a cool scouting. Look, I don't even give like, a shit. It just sounds great to soften the baseball. Everyone should be stealing. It does. This. Softens the baseball. All right, we are recording this uh, before the All-Star Game. So that means that if you're listening to this on a Wednesday or a Thursday and you're expecting hot All-Star Game chatter, uh, we don't have it for you. And before we we dive into Juan Soto and the home run derby, because that is what we can talk about, and that's generally what I want to talk about, how many All-Star Games would this have been a problem with in your professional careers? Like how many All-Star Games would, if we ignored it, the next day, people would go, that's weird that they ignored. There's the tie. Is there another all-star game? Is there like Cal Ripkins or something where they switch position? I don't know. I'm just genuinely asking. Probably uh, Derek Jeter's last all-star game. You know, the when Adam Wainwright uh, piped him a fastball. Yes. And, okay. then, uh, and then was interviewed afterwards. And the television interviewer said, well, you know how social media is, even though he said, I piped him a fastball. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I think that's about it. I don't know who I can't recall a single thing that happened in the All Star game last year. Twenty ninth? No, I never. No, I. It's a great event. I love attending it. It's I fun. It. I like watching it. Speaking of pipe shots, do you think that we saw the home run derby equivalent of this last night? Because, boy, Kyle Schwarber has twenty nine dongs at the break, and it looked like he wasn't trying all that hard against uh, Albert Pujols. So I Kyle Schwarber seemed to think he was in the hard ground ball. There. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like It looked like he was the, warm, the worm burner derby. And so I'm just wondering, man, like fair or foul, let's say he did lay down for all Albert Pujols. I kind of think like, screw it. Why not? Why not? People give the people what they want. They wanted to see the old man get through. I, I don't know. Is that the worst thing ever? Is that like in the same pipe shot? I think was it Chan Ho Park gave one to Cal Ripken. Wasn't that one too in Seattle or something like that? Like anyway, it is a long custom of doing this for some sort of the uh, you know legendary players that are sort of doing this for the last time. If Schwarber laid down last night, was that a problem? I don't think Schwarber actually laid down. <laughs> obviously. Uh, because if so, they, they really mistimed that uh, that sort of nice moment where all the All-Stars came out to <laughs> surround Albert Pujols. Because if they had, like, done that and Schwarber, you know, it's like joining the thing, like, you guys know I'm taking a dive, right? He's got to get to the next round. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> We're supposed to do this in the next round. Like, who blew the cue? Did no one tell you guys? It's like in wrestling, they only tell a certain amount of people to finish, right? And so, you know, Schwarber's like, oh, guys, guys, we're no, uh, come on. Like, anyway. Uh, yeah, that was that was entertaining. I would say no, that this was not uh, intentional, if only because, man, when you are not hitting home runs in a home run derby, you don't look good. You are looking silly in front of uh, the the American public, and it looks bad. It, it's just it's because it seems so simple. I mean, I could get up there and hit home runs. I choose not to, but I could definitely just hit a bunch of home runs if I went up there and, and swung really hard. So why can't Kyle Schwarber? It can't be that hard. So I don't know. There's there's 
there's wanting Pujols to move on and there's respect for the game and the history. And then there's just simple baseball player pride and not wanting to screw up in front of people. Yeah. You know, Steven Nesbitt had that story on the site talking to some of these guys that had been in the Derby, older dudes, like, you know, kind of looking at what Pujols is trying to pull off at age 42. And, and you saw that theme in their grant. I mean, it, it really does come down to pride. They know there's a bunch of people watching. And so not only is it an endurance event, but there's also that that part of, you, know, you don't want to embarrass yourself out there. And there's still competitors after all. So, I mean, I'm half kidding about Schwarber taking a dive. I just think it's <laughs> hilarious that, like, people are, have been all over it. And But, like, you know, it is a thought exercise. Like, so what? Like, I don't think he did. Okay, for the record, I do not think he took a dive. I don't think any of these guys in a contest like that would ever do that. But... What if he did? Or like, if, if if let's say he did, it's like, what's the big deal, man? Like, I I, I don't know. I think it was kind of cool. No, it's, it's great. The weird thing is apparently, like, he actually won the round because the, the counting was off. Did you guys oh, see People this? were talking about that. Yeah, like ESPN was having a hard time with the counting because of the camera and all that. It was, it was going yeah. too fast for them, I guess, right? Something like that. Yeah, I think he – so he may have actually won, which, like, I'm sure he didn't care. You know, like, he's not going to be, like, protesting. Be like, excuse me, actually, uh, Albert needs to sit down. I, I am defeated. Uh, you know. That would have been great, too. Actually. Yeah, that was – what a crazy event. I will say at the risk of, of embarrassing myself, I went to the store. During Kyle Schwarber's uh, round. So, yeah, no, I mean, oh, I'm just yeah. not a true fan. So I, I, I saw Albert Pujols' round and I said, okay. Like, I was kind of excited for it, but okay. And then when I came back, he was hitting again. And I could, it took like uh, like a little bit of CSI reconstruction to figure out what actually had happened. But Kyle Schwarber, he that could not have been must-see TV when he was up there. Like, that was that round really that bad? It just looked weird. It was just kind of like, what? What's going on? Like, is I thought like I thought Schwarber and Alonso were kind of destined to meet in the finals. They both sort of have similar sort of swing profiles and similar sort of like um, beef profiles. Yeah, you know, like they're both you know they're the guys you think who are going to win the Derby. You know, guys who like exclusively take batting practice to deep purple. Um, <laughs> and so like I didn't. Uh, I was a bit surprised by both their performances. But Julio, Julio Rodriguez was the star of the show. I mean, Juan Soto won. But, like, this is kind of how the derby always goes, right? It's like someone really puts on a show in the first round, second round. It's often a young player because the young players have to go first. I think, like, you know, Vlad Guerrero a couple of years ago. That person doesn't win, but they're sort of the star of it, which is kind of – it's like a tradition in and of itself, right? Like, I, I really don't remember who most of the Derby winners are, but you sort of remember – like, didn't Josh Hamilton not Correct. win the Josh Hamilton home yes, run derby? Like, yeah. that sort of thing, right? It's kind of like the baseball, uh, the Monty Hall problem. You know that one where, like, if Monty Hall raises a, a thing and you pick, oh, well, the GOAT's going to be in this one. It's kind of like that with the home run derby where if a guy hits 30 – home runs in the first round, you're going to, no, I'm going to change my pick. It's not that guy anymore. The odds are now better for another guy. I'm remembering Julio Rodriguez right now. I'm closing my eyes and letting the dinger <laughs> wash over me because that was fun as hell. Like if you're going to try and get someone into baseball, it's hard to pick the right three-hour game to sit down and say, okay, well, let me, let me talk about all the nuances. And it's hard to build up to that because you might have the best player in the world. You might have Mike Trout or, or Shohei Otani not do anything of note, just sort of like come up, go away, and not do anything exciting in the derby. You get to see Julio Rodriguez, and man, I get it. That kid is good at baseball. And so that's what the derby does. It's just like this pure distilled 
baseball that anyone can just grab and you know the nuance can come later. I go beyond that. Not only is he skilled, because he obviously is, but man, he's having fun doing it. You know, we were talking about Pete Alonso last week. And what I like about Pete and his approach to the Derby is that he doesn't have time for this too cool for school bullshit. He wants to win the damn thing. He wants to be in it every year and he's going to put it on his sleeve. You look at that kid yesterday. He was having a blast. Then you hear him talk. He's having fun. He's like just having a blast out there with a bunch of his buddies showing off a little bit, having a great time. And oh, by the way, he's incredibly good at what he does. So I think it's not just a, a skills thing because obviously that's there but he obviously wanted to be there he was obviously having a great time and how do you not smile watching that i don't know i mean aren't you guys a little concerned about the fraternization of players? <laughs> 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 doesn't that a little you know chafe you a little bit that these guys don't have the pride to represent their team at this event they need to take it more seriously. You're right. They need to step it <laughs> You're up. right. After, after I Joust they, gave yeah. up one dinger, he should have drilled Alonzo in the ass. <laughs> like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, come on. Come on. That man's a special assistant to the GM in DC. Right. That's two, they're, they're not even on the same damn team. This is outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> How about the Nationals, huh? How about him? How about the trail of people surrounding Juan Soto yesterday? It looked like ambulance oh, chasers. Great. Starling Marte. Oh, <laughs> Looked like he's, yeah, like I guess those guys were close anyway. But Starling Marte was his shadow. It makes you wonder, you know, was he on a mission yesterday? Did he get a call from someone like Steve Cohen and went, hey, I just want you to be Juan Soto's shadow for a couple hours. Just did take one for the team, right? Like, I mean, that dude needs Powerade, get him a Powerade. <laughs> I mean, not a coincidence, I would think, but that was kind of funny. Like, Juan Soto, popular fellow. It was great. I was I was I wrote about him off uh, the media day availability, and he you know was pretty charming during like a nearly hour long address with the with reporters as he was talking about his trade status. Um, you know the whole time uh, Scott Boris and a few reps from Boris Corp were standing very close watch, so close that a security guard tried to get them to move, uh, which was enjoyable. The security guard was soon informed like no no we're his agents, and then the security guard was like oh okay fine. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was quite the scene. I get the sense we're going to be talking about Juan Soto a lot over the next couple of weeks. What do you guys mm, think? That's a bold claim. Probably right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it's hard because I you have the two camps where it's going to be. Now I guess they're not camps, but you have some people going. Okay, he's definitely going to get traded in the next couple of weeks. Like this is going to happen. This is it's 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 going to happen. And then you have, well, it's got to be a Herschel Walker trade. Well, it's got to be, it's got to just decimate a farm system. And I can't square that circle because if he's going to get moved, it's not going to be a Herschel Walker trade. It's going to be, it's going to be painful for whatever team gets him, but it's going to be much closer to uh, Cameron Mabin and Miller, not the reliever Miller, whichever the other Miller was that they traded for Miguel Cabrera. No, that uh, was the reliever. It was Andrew. It was it Andrew was? Miller. He that wasn't a reliever yet. Yeah, that's yeah. back in he started okay. games back in the day before he was too good for that. Okay. I, th- I thought because I know the, the Indians had another mill. I don't know. I just do a baseball podcast. Brad Miller? The game. No. He didn't even pitch. <sighs> Reggie Miller? He's Adam basketball Miller. player. Adam Miller? All right. I'm going to look this up. I'm going to look this up. But you guys, you guys do. While Grant's looking this up, I actually, I I, I very much agree with the sort of the, the, the point you were making, Grant, that like it's really hard to square what's going to happen. I'm probably going to try and write about this for like probably like Wednesday afternoon or Thursday. Just like the Nationals, they can't trade Juan Soto. 
He's Juan Soto. Like, how can you ever get back the value of Juan Soto in a trade? But they also have to trade Juan Soto because how else are the Nationals going to get anywhere? Like, they are, like, in a really bad place. And some of that is bad luck. Some of that is bad decisions, you know, like, whatever. There's a, It's like, it's not, we're not here to make, like, sort of, moral judgments on how they got to where they are, but they're in a really bad place. They're the worst team in the National League. They don't have a particularly good farm system. Most of their decisions they've made in free agency have not gone well. They appear not close to contention at all. Their, you know, their, their top picks have not really developed, blah, blah, blah. It's not a good spot, right? So what is the one thing that they could do to sort of change their fortunes? It's turn Juan Soto into the Herschel Walker return. Are they going to get that? I don't know. I think you could go through a lot of different teams and build a trade that is like feels fair, but getting the team on the other side of it to pull the trigger feels really challenging, really challenging. And the ownership situation in D.C. only further complicates it. I think the ownership situation is the thing here. And I think it was in your story, I feel like Scott Boris addressed it. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it was like Soto's not going to sign until he knows right. the owner, and it's a totally reasonable take. I mean, Scott's doing his job there because he's right. So I think that when you look at whether they're going to trade him or if they have to trade him, the ownership issue to me is paramount. And I don't know the answer to this either. But like, if you're trying to sell a baseball team, is it better to have Juan Soto on the roster or not? Now it sounds obvious, right? When you say it like that, well, of course you'd want that. But let's think about it for a second. You know that he's going to take a half a billion dollars to sign. If Even if you're another, let's say they found another Steve Cohen and you had to make that kind of commitment right out of the gate, you're probably going to be hamstrung in some way as far as the decisions you're going to make moving forward. So if you're a new owner, what would you rather have? A clean slate or this generational player that is going to really narrow your window of operation for things that you want to do if you want to take over a franchise and get them turned around quickly, which presumably would be the goal, right? Because you, you're not buying a club to watch them rebuild for five more years. I don't know what the answer is there. I, I don't think there's a straightforward one. But to me, when I look at it, this is all about that ownership issue. Not as a complication. I actually think this is the, the thing that like shapes this whole argument. And it's, it's really difficult. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was it the Royals, the Marlins, or both when they bought their franchises for a lot of money that they were surprisingly leveraged? That it wasn't just you the know, Marlins couple- more so. I think the Royals is pretty clean. Okay, so the Marlins, yeah. I believe there's a lot of debt that they took on. Yeah, so I, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with the Nationals, but you could have a situation where they're looking at a half a billion dollars for Juan Soto and going. Uh, that kind of changes the calculation a little bit. Yeah, and also you have to remember that the, that whoever's buying the team is going to take on all the deferred money for Scherzer, for you know probably like Jason Worth, you know, like all <laughs> all those contracts. The question is, part of it is, can you get out from under some of the other bad deals they have? So Patrick Corbin, I think all the teams who are in the Soto market who aren't the Tampa Bay Rays or like the Cleveland Guardians are like, yeah, we'll take Corbin. Come on, send them over. You know, we'll eat that 60 million. I don't think they would be able to get out from under Strasburg because it's unclear if Strasburg would give up his no trade, essentially. And you're eating there like 160 million, which, you know, is more than 60 million for Patrick Corbin. 
Now, if you clear the decks financially, if you get Corbin off the books, if you get the 50 million you're going to owe, 60 million you're going to owe Soto over those last two seasons, if you say, okay, we don't have to spend half a billion dollars, yeah, you do have a clean slate. But what else do you have? You have Kiba Ruiz, you have Josiah Gray, and then you have like a ballpark, you know, near the Kava, like in the, you know, the capital region. Like, I don't know. It's outside of the fact that it's a baseball team and like that's you just print money when you own a baseball team. It's not that appealing. And from everything that I've read, it doesn't appear that there's like a Steve Cohen walking through that door. You know, it doesn't appear that there's a Guggenheim baseball walking through that door. It doesn't appear that there is someone willing to get in and really throw their weight around financially with the folks in the, you know, in the, in the National League East, which is, you know, it's a tough National League East. It's a tough National League, period, you know? <laughs> Elia, I love it. Good and, reference. You know, you got to you got to compete with Steve Cohen. You got to compete with the machine in Atlanta, which doesn't maybe spend as much as their fans or all of us here as the only pro labor podcast in baseball <laughs> believe they should. John Middleton, for all of the sort of personnel goofs they've made, they spend, they contend. Like that's a, it's a tough racket, and I, you know, there doesn't appear to be some sort of hedge fund billionaire. Nats fan like Steve Cohen, the DC equivalent to Steve Cohen, who's ready to just jump in and throw his weight around. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. 
If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I would jump in and throw my weight around. And if, <laughs> like, listen, if, if all of these uh, listeners, I mean, how many people are listening to this right now? A million? Two million? If everyone just chipped in like 10, I'm not doing the math, but I'd, I'll buy the Nationals. I'll be a, I'll be a Steve Cohen. I'll throw my weight around. Brad's going to start a Kickstarter to buy the Washington yeah. Nationals. I love it. I'd be a wacky owner. You'd see me in the boxes and I'd be doing weird stuff. Like I'd be the owner of the rally hat and I'd be on uh, SportsCenter. Give me a chance. You'd be some combination of like Mark Cuban, Bill Vec, and you know, Charlie O. Like there would be a donkey involved. You would be blogging again. And there would be giveaways every day. Well, there would be a donkey involved. All right. Um, <laughs> when it comes to the teams that would want Juan Soto, that's all of them. When you're talking about the teams that realistically could trade for him, there's a, a, a fewer teams. But I keep going back to a team like, what is it going to take to get Juan Soto? You got to have the farm system, right? You have to be contending now. You have to have the money. You have to have the kind of roster where you're not as worried about the prospects. You're not worried about, well, we need those guys to to act as a bridge for the next five years because we're not going to spend our way out of it. So you have all those. That's the Dodgers. It's like the Dodgers <laughs> are the one team where they they have all the prospects, and they're not necessarily worried about, we need those guys. If those guys don't pan out, we're screwed, guys. No, they're just going to buy another Freddie Freeman or something. I think the Dodgers get soda. The Dodgers do tend to get a lot of the really good players these days. I think the Yankees are a real threat. I think the Mets really would love Soto. It's just they're harder to execute because they don't have the farm, and what they have to offer is money. And it's harder to sell that in division, I think. There's some some Mets people seem to believe that getting that done in the division will be challenging. What about the Tampa Bay Rays? I'm going to push back on that one a little bit with the Mets. When you say they don't have the farm system, you're looking at the overall picture. And in this case, I think that is misleading because what they do have are a bunch of guys who are kind of close to the major leagues and they're really high end. They're kind of top heavy. If you're Washington, isn't that exactly the kind of system that you're looking for if you're looking for a matchup? Guys that'll get there sooner rather than later, that have really high end. And oh, by the way, well, they'll eat a bunch of money, right? So yeah, it's in division, but they got the money and the type of prospects they have actually match up. So I, I, I wouldn't be like ruling them out. I'm not ruling them out. I'm saying it's less likely. And there's a, Steve Cohen has said from the beginning, we want to be the East Coast Dodgers. What did the Guggenheim Dodgers, the Andrew Friedman Dodgers, what did they do for the first few years that they were there? They spent a lot of money and they did not burn prospect capital because they needed to build the pipeline. And what 
that separated the Dodgers from about 2015 to 2020 or so was homegrown 0-6 to stars. That is not a thing the Mets currently have outside of, I guess, you know, Alonzo and Jeff McNeil, right? But, like, if you're talking about getting rid of Alvarez and Vientos and Beatty, and I think there's a fourth guy, I forget what his name is. Those are the sort of players who could fill in as the Seegers, the Bellingers, the Buellers, the Will Smiths. Again, this is what Cohen has said. This is what they want to be. They want to be the Dodgers. And how do you do that? You have to build up the farm and you use the money until the farm is ready. I don't know. Maybe Soto's worth it. There was never a Soto-type offer for the Dodgers during that time. It was like Cole Hamels. It was you know guys who weren't like franchise-altering type players. It was really good players who could maybe help you for one year. So that might be different, but I'm just reading into if you were going to stick with this blueprint and you use money more than prospect capital, it's tougher to get that deal. That's what I'm saying. All fair points. And like I was going to actually say the latter thing that you'd mentioned, though, too, right? Like what what colors all of this is that this is pretty much unprecedented. It's different. This is really different, different. man. Like, I mean, you can say that Juan Soto is basically Ted Williams and like you can't even scoff at it. You look at the numbers and go, oh, yeah. Kinda, yeah. Which is absurd you know, when you when think you, about it. Yeah. Like, let's think, just a, take a timeout. Like Ted Williams, Juan Soto, and you're just like, oh yeah, sure, sure, that makes sense. Like, that's who's available right now for two and a yeah, half years right. of control. He's 23. Good He's lord. 23. Like, yeah, come on, you're... this is the one time where, like, okay, WFAN trades. Like, that's a big New York thing. Like these stupid ass trades that people put out there for. This is the one time where you do that. This is it, man. This is the one time where you're like, the hell with it. Let's get weird because it's never (laughs) happening again. Look at all the shit that's had to happen for this to even be a conversation. The ownership situation, the Nationals actually winning that championship, a pandemic striking right after, right? Like, And then just all the baseball-related stuff, how it all just played out. Yet all of this kind of come to a head. Do you think it's ever going to happen again? No way. This is a freaky, weird, one-of-a-kind situation that, in my view, requires freaky, weird, one-of-a-kind thought process. And if that means you got to deviate from your plan, shave off your prospects, eat a shit ton of money, and get yourself a generational guy for two and a half years, and perhaps maybe more, you do it. This is the one time that you do it. I don't necessarily disagree. I think that... You are going to ask an industry that the best teams tend to be risk averse to take a risk. Now, again, you may view Soto as such a sure bet that like it's not actually. But I don't know necessarily that teams think that way. I think they look at the actuarial tables. I think they look at the, you know, all the sort of algorithms and say, okay, we're paying for two and a half years. If you offered him $500 million to stay, Is there any guarantee that he's not going to free agency? No. Like, Scott Boris wants to set, like, records upon records upon records with Soto, and he has the player capable of doing it. Soto has said he wants to test free agency. And you can pay to keep him, but it's going to cost a lot. You're going to have to pay to keep him out of free agency, and that's going to cost a lot. And it's kind of unclear. Like, you know, is given the way that the, the system is set up, is he worth $45 $45 million a year for, you know, like 12 seasons. That's a lot. You know, you can, all the owners can afford it, blah, 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 pro labor. Uh, <laughs> but like, that's a lot. 
It is, and it's the difference between, you know, I've mentioned before when we talked about Soto, the Miguel Cabrera comparisons to where you looked at all the prospect packages that were going back and forth and all of them, you know, it's like Joba Chamberlain. You know, like, okay, none of them were, like, in retrospect, it all seems silly except for the Kershaw-Kemp uh, offer that was reported. Uh, the difference is, is that you could see yourself signing Miguel Cabrera to an extension before he left free agency. That was part of, you're getting Miguel Cabrera, but you're also getting that exclusive window of negotiating rights. It seemed a little bit more realistic with him. With Boris and Soto, I'm trying to think of a scenario where he wants to sign an extension. I guess it's possible, but I think the Occam's razor is that he tests for agency. They're telegraphed the whole time, right? Like There is like no ambiguity on that point, right? Like, I mean, it's they publicly said it. It makes sense. He's the right player to push the market. And you've got a guy with the track record of getting his guys free agency. Like this one feels pretty straight up. There is, if you're looking at, I just pulled up the Dodgers top 10 prospects. Uh, you have one, two, three out of the 10 are 24 or older. Uh, or 23 or older. And then one, two, three, four, no, four or 23 or older. That's, that's Juan Soto's age. So like you have a situation <laughs> where you can, the Dodgers can give a prospect package that is just filled with guys who might be, uh, a little bit older than Juan Soto. That's just bananas to me. And when I go through like what the Giants could offer, because that, that's my day job, uh, I it, you take their top 10 prospects, put them on the Nationals. I don't think it's enough. I just don't see the, the fair trade. I don't know how realistic is realistic. Well, and the thing that I was saying too with the Mets is they have like, they have four, it seems like consensus, really good prospects, but that's kind of it. Whereas the Yankees have more, the Dodgers have more, the Rays have more. The Rays also have guys like on who are currently on their roster. They could deal. You know, the Mets have like, or excuse me, the, the Dodgers have you know players on their roster now who you could put in. You could throw in a, a Gavin Lux. This would be tough to pull off in season, but like Will Smith is a guy who, if you really believe in Diego Cartaya, you know, you could put him in a deal that would lessen your prospect return. That would also, you know, they'd have to move for a catcher, blah, 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 whatever. I'm just saying they have the sort of, you know, organizational 40-man depth that the Mets just don't have yet. And so I think if you were sticking to that, you know, we want to be like the East Coast Dodgers timeline, it takes a little bit of time to build up that pipeline. You know who's got a really impressive top five uh, prospect list that I keep looking over? Uh, the A's. You think the A's could be in the mix for one soda? I think it'd be funny. <laughs> Why would you even bring this up? Because you know what? MLB Pipeline just like popped it up. I guess that's the default on the prospect list. And I looked it up Why? and I was like, oh, wow, those are some solid prospects. Why? I don't know. I think, uh, well, because I want to Just to somewhere. anger the A's fan? Oh, I don't know. I just like their prospects. And I just, you know what it would remind me of is when they got Cespedes and no one expected the A's to do that. Let's get them wacky. Let's let's get them to do it. And then maybe uh, they're looking for a new owner to sign Juan Soto. They could get <laughs> Soto and then they could flip him next year at the deadline. That's arbitrage. Oh, that is seven-dimensional back. I forgot Absolutely. that Cespedes played for the Oakland A's. That feels like a lifetime ago. When they signed him, man, it was out of, I remember. Uh, no pun intended, left field. It was just like, whoa, what is but going they on? But si they signed him, right? Yeah. He was. He, was, yeah. he had to come out as a free agent. And I remember the barbecue video coming out and calling the person who made it and talking through, like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and writing about it. Like, I don't remember, it was 2011 or something like that. Anyway, 
Yeah, I forgot all about that. That's a good derby guy, Cespedes. Cespedes, classic, classic derby participant. Classic. Let's remember some derby guys. Uh, Hubie Brooks. You guys remember Hubie Brooks? (laughs) (laughs) Ozzy Virgil Jr. Wait, okay. Can you define derby guys for me? Uh, Beef. Uh, uh, Hubie Brooks is just a name that's stuck in my head because it's funny that he was ever a home run derby. A derby guy is... You're going to have strength and athleticism and general baseball skills, but it's going to be more on the raw power side. Like Pete Alonso isn't necessarily like, you know, he, he has played discipline, but that's not what you think of first. And you think he's someone who's going to not get cheated in a, a two strike count. He's just going to let it fly with both cheeks. So it's a, it's a both cheeks guy. It's a let it fly guy. It's a beefy guy who doesn't necessarily think walk first. So it's Rob Deere. Yeah. Well, Rob Deere, like, he's like the classic, you know, three true outcome guy. He is like the, the prototypical, I might hit 180, but boy, Oh, okay. You know. So he can't even, okay. So Dave Kingman. Dave Kingman, that's another like, I want a little bit more refinement than Kingman or Deere. A little bit more, like Adam Dunn is pushing, like Adam Dunn in his good years is kind of right where we're at. But even he was just, he was a little bit more cerebral at the plate. Uh, I want someone who's willing to just take a wild hack every so often and make you go, ooh, so Alonzo. (laughs) Cespedes, I don't know. Wild hack. All right. Wild hacks. I like wild hacks. By the way, it was Adam Miller. It was Adam Miller was a, an Indians prospect. He was a top 20 prospect before the 2005 season, before the 2007 season. So Adam Miller is who I was thinking of. I'm not dumb and I resent the implication. All right, here's the million dollar question. Does Soto get moved before August 2nd? I honestly don't think so. I hear the chatter that it's imminent in two weeks and stuff like that. I just think it's so tricky. It's just so, 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 so tricky. It might be something where you need a little face-to-face time and uh, the old winter meetings. And I, I don't know. I think it's going to be too tricky. You're probably right. So I try to think of it like a human being. Like I, I don't know if I want to be the person in charge of making that move with a two-week deadline, to be honest with you. just we, You got limited information. Now that it's out there, there's this artificial timeline because there's nothing that says you have to do it. In this, these two weeks, except for people talking a lot about it because the story came out. So I'm going to say no. You guys have laid out the complications really well, but I think it also comes down to, whew, I almost want to kick that can down the road for the next person. <laughs> so have someone else make that decision. Good grief. Scott Boris said this yesterday. He was like, you know, it's kind of tough being the guy to try and explain. I just traded Juan Soto for these four things. And here's why it makes sense, you know, because like, the decision will come down to the learners, right? Like it's, it's the learner's call. In order to execute it would be Mike Rizzo's decision. You know, that that's how he would he would be in charge of like fulfilling the vision. And that's kind of a tough thing for your GM to do when you're like, hey, so we're gonna have a new boss coming in and uh, you gotta give away your best thing. And then you gotta explain to them why you did that. Okay? All right, sounds good. Good luck to you. You know, and we'll see if they keep you around. I don't know. You know, who who can say? I guess this this is probably unprecedented, right? I mean, yeah, because the Cabrera thing was in the winter time. That move was not at the yeah, deadline. And the and the Marlins had an owner. The Marlins were trying, like, was I don't know if it was like Wayne Heisinga or whoever Jeffrey. Loria. I think it was Laurie already, and the they just they couldn't get a stadium deal. That was sort of, sort of the context right. there too. But Jeffrey Loria wasn't actively trying to sell the team, right? The team like wasn't on the block. They were just frustrated at not having the ballpark yet. 
I think if there is a difference between this situation and uh, situations in the past, it's that the baseball fan of today is a little bit more primed to be prospect goofy and to to have the idea of a rebuild in their mind as like, oh, that's the general, that's the natural cycle of things. It's it, you have the fan of today is a little bit more primed than uh, when the A's were like, here is uh, Eric Plunk and Jose Rijo and uh, uh, Jay Howell, like for Ricky Henderson. Here, I know we just took away Ricky Henderson, but Jay Powell, Eric Plunk, like A's fans back then, what the hell is this? You know, this isn't Ricky Henderson. And you're going to have Nationals fans who say this isn't Juan Soto. But at the same time, they'll be more primed to be like, okay, but but in the future, one of these guys could be Juan Soto, even if that's unrealistic. Yeah, I actually don't agree with that, Grant. I think I think that stance was way more prevalent like five to seven years ago. I think that in the last several years, at least, I don't know. I mean, like, what, because what are we talking about when we say this? We're talking about like baseball Twitter, right? I think that that stance has kind of been phased out. And now it's sort of like, no, actually, I want the good players who are currently good at baseball. You know, it's sort of like, you know, the, the, the point I've made a few times, probably on here, is that like the, the height of like baseball commentary in like 2022, because of just sort of the general, like the, the period of, uh, you know, fake austerity where teams stop spending in free agency for several years, all that, right? Because like the owners froze the market for so many years that like the height of baseball commentary would be the sort of stuff that fire Joe Morgan would tear you apart for uh, like 15 years ago. Like if you wrote a column that was like, no, I think like you should give Juan Soto like half a billion dollars, like on fire Joe Morgan, they would be like, what a buffoon. Like, do you understand how players like that age, like at 28, he'll be a five, warp player like or fourth <laughs> player like are you really gonna pay that amount of money uh no uh, jackass uh now i'm gonna go make brooklyn 99 and be a billionaire um but now you're like the smartest person in the room if you're like actually no i think you should like i think you should trade for juan soto that's a good move actually you should give up all these prospects for him. If you did that then they'd be like uh are you looking at the surplus value of all these guys Oh, I, I just, I really appreciate the attention to detail of you using warp and not war because back in the baseball perspective days, that's uh we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get our warp. Wasn't it warp? It was warp too. Wasn't there a value warp? over replacement player? What was warp on? I thought was, warp was on BP. That's on baseball prospectus. God world. God world. It's kind of, yeah, I really can't understand why uh, we were called nerds when we were trying to explain why Forp is important. <laughs> I just don't get it. Why Why did they make fun of us? I, wish, I just so wish weird. during that like soliloquy right there, Andy, you'd pushed your glasses up in the middle of it. That would have like, <laughs> just been like the chef's kiss for that little tirade. And then you just have to put in a sentence like, for the last time, Moneyball was not about on base what? percentage. It was about market inefficiencies. <sighs> okay? Did you even read the book? Obviously. They didn't even not. mention the pitchers. That's my favorite one. <laughs> that's my favorite but one. Now, they never okay, mentioned that. Out. Miguel Tejada no, was in there, the, too. But time out. That's now the accepted, like, sort of understanding of Moneyball is that Moneyball is actually a bad book because it didn't talk enough about, like, uh, you know, Tim Hudson. Like that, it's it's like that's how far in the other direction the sort of discourse is swung. That if you like say like for me like reading Moneyball like was a was like a a genuinely life changing thing for me because I was so interesting and I became interested in baseball in the first time, right? But like you say that to someone like yeah, but like I mean you could have probably written a chapter on Miguel Tejada. <laughs> <laughs> You're like yeah, but like it was still a really good book, you idiot. 
Yeah, no, I, I was knee deep in the baseball primer and before that the Usenet culture of baseball nerdery. So I was primed to be like, oh, let's see what this guy, let's see if he really knows his stuff. Like I came to it from, it wasn't life changing for me. It's like I was, it was trying to, to reinforce. It was a fantastic book. And yeah, it has problems. And yes, it could have mentioned Barry Zito at least once. And uh, I, the draft for me, I, I love going back and reading the draft chapter because it just, it's so not. What baseball drafts are like, there's a certainty of like, yes, we got our guy, and the triumphant music plays. But at the same time, hell of a book. I will say this until I pass out. That has it's a book that had no right to be made into a watchable movie, and the movie is so watchable, so watchable. I like that movie. It's one of my favorite baseball movies. So I, I respect Moneyball. Even it wasn't necessarily life changing for me, but uh, so I, as usual, I'm like right in that squishy middle. My wife took me to go see that movie. My wife, the um, Yankees fan, who just started laughing hysterically at the scenes in which the Yankees were stepping on the A's in that movie. She, she did it just for that. She took me out to the movie just to be able to do that. Yes. It's like having a Soviet wife and going to see Rocky. Like, ah, come on, pound Not him, that much pound different. that dork. Yeah, that's right. Anyhow, it'll be a two one. I love that whole culture of like 2003, 2004, you know, when, when there was such an anti money ball sort of, tenor among like baseball you know sort of mainstream baseball right and it would always be like how come that no one wrote a book about the yankees who won that year and it's sort of like <laughs> they've written books about the yankees like what why don't you try and write a book about the yankees they're the yankees trust me people will buy that book they've written books about not the not yankees. only have they written books about the yankees <laughs> but like one of the best books i've read about the yankees recently is about when they were absolute dog shit there's a book out there about like that that early '90s period. Oh, is that the the Bill? Yeah, Pennington the Paddington book, book was really yeah, was good. good. Yeah. And like it, it because it was so much more compelling than the normal offerings you get about ooh, 27 titles, ooh, Babe Ruth. Like, I mean, they were awful in that time. And Paddington, I thought, like brought it to life. It was actually pretty cool. If you haven't seen it, that is actually a Yankee book worth reading because it's, it's they're all I mean it's different it's just you don't see that perspective represented and and the way it's set up for what happened with them obviously in the mid 90s forward I uh, was really well done my favorite Yankee store that I've ever written, uh, the favorite to write, favorite that I, I'm proudest of is Andy Hawkins' no hitter that he lost four to nothing because that was the dog shit Yankees and that was, that was just a chapter in the book had, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so amazing to watch that game and just it, it, the disbelief on everyone's face. And let me clarify, that, that sounded like the, that the other Yankee books aren't worth reading. That's not true. Like every time Feinstein writes a book about the Yankees, you ought to read that. But like I'm just saying, Pennington's one was so different. It stood out that way. It, it was fun. You like the contrast. Yes. You know who's coaching third base for the Yankees that day? Who you got? Uh, I, Buck Showalter. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, we will be back next week. Uh, it'll all be all-star chatter. Like, we're going to take what <laughs> happened tonight and just dissect it a week later. <laughs> we're going to do the snubs. We're going to say how much better the all-star game would have been with the snubs. But, yeah, we will be back next week. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you then.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.